Some people love Shakespeare, others not so much. But a Shakespeare adaptation is always a good time. Constellation Theater at 14th and T is featuring a musical called Desperate Measures. It's based off of Shakespeare's play Measure for Measure, but it's set in the Wild West. A gunslinging nun teams up with a sheriff and a saloon dancer to save her brother. Buy tickets now at constellationtheater.org. The show runs through March 17th. Once again, that's constellationtheater.org. Today on CityCast DC, crime has been one of the biggest issues of the year, with high-profile incidents drawing national attention and congressional intervention. Carjackings and thefts are on the rise all over the district. Emily Davies from the Washington Post is here to tell us where we've landed after a year of intense focus on crime, what's improved, what's gotten worse, what's next, and what it all means for the city. Today's Thursday, December 21st. I'm Bridget Todd, and here's what DC is talking about. So there's this perception of crime across the city and how it's been affecting people's lives. You know, if you click into any kind of DC-centric media outlet, crime is pretty much every headline. But what are folks telling you about how they feel about crime in the city? I think it's one of those moments when the headlines actually do reflect how many people are feeling in D.C. And that crime and public safety is a daily concern across the city from Ward 3 to Ward 8. People every day are changing little aspects of their lives to increase their chances of avoiding a crime like carjacking. And it's that reality in D.C. that has made crime the major political crisis of the year, as well as the public safety one. Yeah, I mean, I get this feeling like every time I see a headline that makes gets national attention from D.C., I shudder because I know it's going to be related to crime. And usually it's a story that feels big, like, oh, FBI agent carjacked. There definitely is that perception that there is a lot of crime. And perhaps that perception is just like being reflected in how the media is talking about it. I know that we have a ton of statistics about how crime is affecting our city. What are some of the trends that you've noticed throughout the year? I think it is important also to recognize this sensational element of crime news. The law of large numbers means that most people are okay every day in D.C. They can go to school and they can make it there safely. They can commute to work and they can complete that commute without incident. Many people's homes have never been broken into. A lot of storefronts have not actually experienced much crime. Now, for every bit of that that's true, there's also an increasing number of people who are genuinely affected by crime every day. And there's also a growing number of people in D.C. who know somebody who has been a victim of crime. And those things together mean that crime is the big issue of the day in D.C. It just is. And the stats back that up, as you said. Violent crime is up by 40 percent. Homicides are up by 34 percent. That means we're on track for the deadliest year in D.C. since 1997. And it's not just violent crime. Property crime is also up across the board by 25%. And every ward, wards one through eight, are reporting increases in both property crime and violent crime compared to last year. So that's a real problem. Carjackings, we've had 993 carjackings to date in D.C. That is a lot. That is a number that should scare people, and it does. But shootings and gun crime, especially stabbings, 
are far more often than not between people who know each other. Now, that that is a crisis in its own right. That is not something to take lightly. But it, it does, in fewer instances, impact a random person on the street. And I think it goes back to what you were talking about earlier about the sensational aspect of the way that it's sometimes reported. Because it is true that there genuinely is a problem with the rise in crime in D.C. And it is true that people are like, that's real. People are right to be concerned about that and right to want to get information about what's going on. But then when the way that it's reported makes it seem like you can't go out of your apartment without becoming the victim of crime. And then you have people who are like big national lightning rods tweeting things like, stay out of D.C., it's not safe, bring in the National Guard. It's like we're getting the worst of both worlds as D.C. residents. We're getting this sensationalistic, perhaps overblown reporting about crime that doesn't really help us day-to-day feel safer or give us information while also still feeling that very real concern about the rise of crime in the city. Does that make sense? It does make sense. And if it helps, I'm in these numbers, in these cases. I talk to families who have lost relatives. I talk to people who've been shot. I talk to people who have themselves shot others. And I go about my daily life. I walk most places. I take public transportation. I go to restaurants all over the city. And my point in saying that is just even as somebody who studies crime in D.C., its patterns, its increases, I feel comfortable living my life. And I think that can sometimes be lost when people like former President Trump visit D.C., drive from the airport and describe this crime-infested jurisdiction. When, yes, we are experiencing an increase in crime that is extremely troubling and not something to take lightly. And it's something to look to our leaders and ask hard questions about why we're in this position. But it does not mean that D.C. is 100 percent of the time for 100 percent of the people here a dangerous place to be. In many ways, it's a great place to live. Yeah. I mean, let's get into that because I I wonder the trends in crime that you were talking about a moment ago Are those trends happening across the city? Like, are there exceptions to those trends you were talking about? So every single ward in D.C. is reporting significant increases in violent and property crime. So it is an issue that's this year that unfortunately has united many residents here because across the nation's capital are really worried about it. They go to their local CVSs and see shelves emptied or they see deodorants locked behind glass and they worry about their quality of life. Or they have a friend who is walking around and got robbed, and that scares them if they want to go out around 9 p.m. with their dog. So it really is affecting everybody in D.C. in one way or another, also often on social media or through next-door channels. I think that's at times when the fear spreads and commentary about crime is certainly prolific in all of those channels. But It is really key to understand that certain parts of D.C. are far more impacted than others, east of the Anacostia River, wards 7 and 8. The level of violent crime there, especially in gun crime, is really different than in in Ward 3, for example. And so it's residents there. It's mostly Black residents in D.C. who are really experiencing the most acute burden of this crime crisis, and that can't get lost in the dialogue around what's happening right now. It sounds like what you're suggesting is that your average, like, white, young professional class in D.C., the reality 
that the statistics bear out for crime in their life is different from somebody who is perhaps a black or brown resident living east of the Anacostia. Is that what you're sort of saying? Yes. And I, I think that that's something that can sometimes be hard to talk about. Everybody should be concerned about a rise, particularly in violent crime in the city, regardless of who is who it's impacting. But it's important to really tease out whose life is more likely to be completely derailed by the violent crime they're experiencing in the city. Right. I have talked to a lot of people, and I mean dozens, who live east of the Anacostia River in Ward 7 and 8, who feel like after a certain time they cannot leave their houses, period. And that is where this word crisis feels appropriate. When people who are living in the nation's capital feel like when the sun goes down, they're stuck inside. Their kids are stuck inside. We all need to take a look in the mirror and try to figure out how to make a dramatic change. That acuteness is really in specific neighborhoods. That is, if you're a young working professional or an older working professional and you're affluent, more likely than not if you're white, you are probably safe outside at night. Now, there is an increased chance that you will experience a robbery or a carjacking. And those that's a real threat because if you have a gun in your face, that can be life-altering. I mean, people really do experience intense trauma. But it is a different reality than for many families. Yeah. And so I think there is this feeling, whether real or perceived, that the common sense ways that you avoid crime maybe no longer apply. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think with the pure volume of crime, in particular categories like robbery and carjacking and frankly shooting, where bullets can be unpredictable, it's hard to believe that even if you do everything right, you have a 100% chance of staying safe. And then it's about just accepting, okay, if I'm carjacked, I need to stay calm. And that is a big one. But it's a change in mentality. Police say this a lot. And it's actually something I think that's worth listening to. If you experience a carjacking, just give them your car. Do not fight back. Give them your keys and just let them leave and then call the police. In a way, the advice has changed from don't sit in your car to if this happens to you, here's how you act. It's still important not to linger in parked vehicles. That's such an astute observation that the way that we, like the advice has changed and maybe we need to internalize that. Yeah, it's no longer don't sit in your car, yada, yada, yada. It's like you might experience this. And if you do, here's the best way for you to stay safe if this unfortunately happens to you. Yeah, and it's hard as creatures who like control to all of a sudden accept and get your brain to accept that being a victim of crime is a legitimate possibility and the best course of action is to think about that. And so you know how to react if it happens to you. That's a hard ask. And so it's especially hard political ask for leaders here to say, hey, buck up. You're living in a city. This is what might happen. And so they're promising change, they're vowing change, and we're all kind of just waiting and hoping is how it feels sometimes. The brand new Arbor at Tacoma is built for your most convenient urban living. Whether you want to enjoy the vibrant Tacoma, D.C. community or comfortably retreat into a sleek sanctuary all your own, The kitchens have striking dark navy and white cabinets, and throughout the home, there are wood floors and smart home technology. Some homes even have a private outdoor space. With a quick walk to the metro, you can easily head into downtown or stay close and enjoy the retail that's on site. 
Located at 218 Cedar Street Northwest, the Arbor Tacoma offers brand new one and two bedroom condos starting in the upper 300,000s. Visit thearborattacoma.com for more information. That's Tacoma with a K. So T-H-E-A-R-B-O-R-A-T-T-A-K-O-M-A.com. A couple of the changes that they have tried to institute, I know that they did the nightlife task force to curb some of the crime in select areas across the city. Did that help? I know there have been multiple shootings this year, some fatal in major nightlife corridors, 14th and U Street areas, H Street, near Adams Morgan, near that strip of bars that's really popular. And so it's, it's hard to say that it's worked as well as people want it to. Now, I haven't seen the statistics that measure between the hours that employees are monitoring those streets has crime gone down. But part of the problem with the unpredictability of crime is that unless it's an around-the-clock operation, which those nightlife zones are not, it's hard to measure because does crime just move slightly or does it move later or earlier? What really is the intended like outcome, I guess? And what about the like youth curfew thing where, where young people weren't going to be allowed outside at night? Did that help at all? To me, that felt more like a messaging play than a public safety play in execution. There have been very few young people picked up on a curfew violation. Like I don't remember a night this year where more than five have been picked up. It could be wrong by a few numbers. But if you look at the public data, which the D.C. government does publish, the number of children picked up each night is just really low. And so it's hard to imagine that's making a huge difference. Now, it's hard because we don't have a counterfactual. Maybe those kids would have gone on to do dangerous things. We just don't know. But juvenile crime is certainly a crisis right now in D.C. I mean, it's one of the key focuses and key concerns of people who live and work here. And so I think it's fair to say that the juvenile curfew has not done enough. I mean, it's this question of deterrence and how do you deter people, especially young people who don't yet have fully formed brains, from making impulsive and dangerous decisions? That's sort of the fundamental question. Do I think that young people in D.C. are being effectively dissuaded from committing crime? No. But do I, I, I'm not sure they're listening to the mayor's press conferences. I saw recently that they're going to be rolling out this real-time crime center. Do you know much about how that's supposed to work? Or do you think it's really more like another messaging play that is supposed to signal to us that crime is being taken seriously, but maybe won't be that impactful? I think time will tell. I certainly think it's a substantive move. I don't feel like it's just fluff. Authorities will basically work. And by authorities, I mean D.C. police in partnership with law enforcement across the region to monitor live video from cameras across the city. The idea is that they can provide quick information to officers on the ground in emergency situations. It's apparently going to be staffed 24 hours a day, all week. So we'll see. It's one of these interagency initiatives, which can be quite effective in D.C. because we are this tiny city that in a way self-governs, but also is influenced by what happens in Prince George's County and Arlington and Montgomery County. So I think it's an interesting idea. What do you think we're going to see next year come 2024 in regards to crime? Like, does the council have anything planned? 2024 is the big question mark now. I mean, 2023 is over and it didn't go well, to put it mildly. And so the question is, the flurry of policy changes that the city council and the mayor have put forward, 
a bunch of different factors from a lot of different players. That's the thing about D.C. It's politicians in the city council. It's the mayor and her entire executive team, including people who are running the Department of Youth Rehabilitation Services, the Youth Services Agency. We need that to improve. We need to look carefully at what the attorney general is doing in prosecuting certain juvenile cases, the courts, the judges, appellate rulings that affect the way that our courts operate. It's a public safety ecosystem, as officials here like to say. And the question is, will changes in every arm work together to create a safer city in 2024? And I think we will just have to see. It's a pretty depressing end to 2023 for D.C. to record what will be more homicides in a single year than in any year since 1997. So I would say I hope 2024 is better because it scares me to think of what it might look like if it's worse. Yeah. And like ask folks who have lived here for a really long time. D.C. in the 90s was it's not something that you want to necessarily favorably compare D.C. now to with, with regards to crime. Like Dodge City was a nickname for a reason for D.C. And so the idea that we're headed back in that direction as it pertains to crime isn't one that feels good as somebody who really loves and cares about the city where we live. Right. I think the historical context to the moment we're in is really important. It wasn't that long ago that D.C. was known as the murder capital of the United States. And the numbers then in terms of homicides were worse than they are now. So that's important to recognize. But the progress we had made in terms of public safety over the last 20 years seems to be unraveling. And so we need to figure out how to stop that trend before we do slip back to where we were. And people who've lived here for a long time and who understand what it was like to live in D.C. in the 90s and 80s, they're desperate to to make sure something is different this time and we don't get back there. Emily, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. This was great. That's all for today here on CityCast DC. If you enjoyed the show, tell a friend, rate the show, leave us a review, and subscribe to our morning newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow morning with even more news from around the city. Talk to you then.